This is Speaking of Writers. I'm Steve Richards. Once an essential part of nautical navigation and commerce, the world's lighthouses have become historical relics of days past. Their primary function now replaced by modern technology. Yet these magnificent structures continue to fascinate us, not only for their intrinsic beauty, but also as monuments to our shared history and as symbols of hope and salvation to those cast adrift on the stormy seas of life. From the mid-18th through the early 20th centuries, the waterways of coastal Georgia, from the St. Mary's River in the south to the Savannah River in the north, were an integral part of the state's economy. Vital to the trade in cotton, rice, timber, naval stores, and other products shipped to ports in America and around the world. Georgia's barrier islands are today the site of five existing lighthouses, each with its own unique style, history, and role in events over the past decades and centuries. In addition to focusing on these beacons, Lighthouses of the Georgia Coast is the book. The author is William Rawlings, reviews the basics of lighthouse design and construction, the role, lore, and legacy of lighthouse keepers, the significance of lighthouses as strategic structures during the turbulent days of the Civil War, and so much more. William Rawlings was born, raised, and lives in Sandersville, Georgia, home to his family for more than two centuries. He was educated educated at Emory, Tulane, and Johns Hopkins Universities, a prolific author of Southern Stories. Lighthouses of the Georgia Coast is his 11th book and fifth work of nonfiction. Happy to have William Rawlings back on this program. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. It's great to be here. So what led you to this book, and why have you been fascinated with lighthouses? Well, two things. First, I I grew up uh, halfway between the coast and the mountains, and uh, when I was a child, my family would spend these wonderful days of yore back when the coast was not developed. It had sandy little sea streets and seaside villages, and we used to go to St. Simon's when I was a child. And the St. Simon's Lighthouse was this mag- is was this magnificent structure, and I remember thinking, gosh, that thing is great. And it, it set the beacon out far at night over the waves, and I was, I was fascinated by it then. And and, and I've always had a, just a bit of a fascination with lighthouses, and I have to admit that I was not tremendously familiar with them. And the other thing was the publisher, I was casting about with the publisher for what to do with my next book, and he said, you know, gee, we really need a book on lighthouses of the Georgia coast. And I said, gosh, that's great. It's not only a fascinating subject and one that I like, but it's also a great excuse to get out and see, spend some time at the coast and do a little outside exploring. So that's why I wrote the book, and I'm quite glad I did. It was a really fun experience. William, why were lighthouses such a vital part of Georgia's economy? Well, you have to back up and think about things. In when the eastern shore of North America was settled in the in the seventeenth, eighteenth centuries, the only inroads that you had were along the rivers uh, to begin with, and roads were difficult and. Uh, they were very few and far between. So Georgia, uh, but by the time of the revolution, I should say Georgia was the least developed of the of the of the new American states. In those days, the uh, civilization uh, extended only a few dozen miles inland, and also up the various rivers: the Savannah River, the Ogeechee, the Okmulgee. Uh, I'm sorry, the Altamaha River, the St. Mary's River, and so forth. And so, anything that was grown inland, such as cotton or timber or whatever, was usually rafted down the river to the coast. Now. Georgia's coast, unlike that of, say, Maine, uh, which is a rocky coast in Maine, Georgia's coast is 
protected by a series of barrier islands. So the mainland is maybe a dozen or even more miles inland from the sea, and you have to fend your way through some estuaries of rivers. And and there are shoals and sandbars and things like that. So lighthouses were an integral part of getting commerce in and out of the major ports of the time, which was Savannah and Brunswick and Darien and uh, St. Mary's. These towns, except for Savannah, of course, these towns have all sort of withered. Brunswick is still big, but Darien, which was a major port and had a light, had its own lighthouses, is really sort of a wide spot in the road. At least it was uh, until it has become more developed in recent years. Chatting with William Rawlings here and speaking of writers, his book is Lighthouses of the Georgia Coast. It's uh, published by Mercer University Press. Five lighthouses of the Georgia coast, Tybee, Coxburgh, Sepolo, St. Simons, and Little Cumberland Lighthouse. Do you have a favorite? Well, I'm asked that all the time, and and the short answer is no, simply because every lighthouse is unique. It's it's like having personalities that sort of uh, you're friends. You're you're friends with this person because you like that, and you're friends with that person because you enjoy that person of his part of his or her personality. All the lighthouses have personalities. The two most well known and accessible are Tybee, which is near Savannah and St. Simons, which is near Brunswick, Georgia, on an island by the same name. Uh, they are really complete functioning light stations today. Although lighthouses in the United States have been decommissioned, uh, these are intact, and you can see the way things were when they were reconstructed after the Civil War in the 1860s or even before. The other three lighthouses have all been abandoned, as it were, and yet they have become historical monuments. They're unique um for each little individual uh, part of them. And so I can tell you stories about each lighthouse, and I think I can probably talk your ear off about any of them, but I like them all to answer your question. If a visitor wanted to say, which lighthouse should I see first, I'd say Tybee near Savannah or St. Simon's on the island of that name near Brunswick. The lighthouse keepers, William, who were these people and what were they like? Well, to start off, uh, prior to about 1850, between the at the end of the American Revolution, uh, lighthouses were more or less taken over by the federal government because they were part of commerce, which kept this nation alive. Um, for the first 50 or 75 years of the New Republic, lighthouse posts were uh, political. You you had a you had a political appointee, and they were probably people that were friends with a politician. To answer your question shortly, starting about 1852, they became a much more a professional service, and and thereafter, for the next hundred years, lighthouse keepers uh, came from a broad background. The perception of lighthouse lighthouse keepers as ascetic people who live a monastic life far away from civilization is in part true but it's 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 difficult to use one single sentence or phrase or description to to say what what or who they were they were people that that enjoyed the life of 24 hour a day 7 day a week job and they liked living uh, near the sea um, it's hard to describe them Wait a minute, there was a earthquake in Charleston, South Carolina, 1886. What was the impact right. of that earthquake on the lighthouses of the East Coast? 
Well, you have to understand that earthquakes on the East Coast are, are very rare and few and far between. And earthquakes is the size of the Charleston earthquake, which occurred, I think, on August 31st, 1886, was quite unusual. <clears throat> that earthquake, uh, which, of course, happened before the modern-day Richter scale, was estimated to measure about 7.3 on what would be a modern scale. So it was a huge earthquake. It was felt all up and down the East Coast. Now, you have to imagine that lighthouse keepers would have been up in top of the towers, which may have been 100, 150, or even more, even greater feet in height. And when you have this huge seismic wave going up and down the East Coast and as far, as far inland as Kentucky, uh, then you would feel it. And of course, the, the description was lighthouses just swayed back and forth, and there were cracks that appeared. And sometimes the delicate lighting mechanisms were broken. But almost every lighthouse's records has something about the Great Charleston Earthquake of 1886. And of course, it decimated much of downtown Charleston, mm. South Carolina. What was your research like for this book? Well, I, it was fun for a start. <laughs> you know, as we say in the South, throw me in the briar patch. Uh, I had to go. I had. I was forced to go to the coast and spend a few days visiting lighthouses. And I can't think of anything more pleasant to do in terms of, of work. But there's two things that happen. Number one, you can't you you can't write about something until you fully understand it. So I spent the first several months really hoping to become a bit of an expert on lighthouses and and, and picking up on things that I didn't know or didn't understand. Uh, I did a lot of research in the National Archives, which has, uh, which is basically online. The United States Lighthouse Society, that's USLHS.org, is a wonderful resource for people that want to learn about lighthouses. I used a lot of their online resources. And thereafter, I visited each individual lighthouse for as many times as I needed to until I really understood things. I went back several times to most of them, taking photographs, uh, looking at them different times of day until I really felt that I had a good feeling for, feel for things, and then I wrote a book. That simple. And finally, what is next for you and your writing? Well, the book I'm working on now, or just actually just finished now, is about the Columbus Strangler. This is a, this is a true crime book, and it's a little outside of what I normally write, but it's a fascinating tale. In, in 1977, 1978, over a seven-month period, a mysterious serial killer murdered, uh, raped, and strangled with stockings seven elderly women in the finest part of town in the city of Columbus, Georgia. Despite a massive police presence, he, could, he managed to elude things. And... Uh, and the case went cold after the last murder in April 1978. Six years passed, and finally in May 1984, by, due to a totally fortuitous set of circumstances, this man was arrested. He was eventually tried in 1986 and sentenced to death, and he was finally executed in 2018. This is more than an ordinary tale, though, because it is the most, it is without a doubt, the most complicated book I've ever tried to write. This man was a serial killer, and over a period of nearly half a century, he was responsible for the at least 10 or 11 deaths, innumerable armed robberies, uh, rapes, and murders. It was just quite an interesting thing. And the, and the, the 
tale is peppered with twists and turns and things. For example, there were two serial killers operating in the city of Columbus, Georgia, at the same time. Strange. Just all sorts of things. So it's a fascinating book, and it's really going to – I think it's going to be quite well-received when it's published next year. All right. That's what's coming from William Rawlings. The book out now is Lighthouses of the Georgia Coast. It's on Mercer University Press. You can connect with William Rawlings online on his website, williamrawlings.com. William, as always, thank you. Thank you. And this is Speaking of Writers.